Boom, we're back. Mike Young, stories that need to be told. Monday, Martin Luther King Day. Wow. It is MLK Day. People are off work. People are feeling deep. People are thinking deeply. Uh, the world is in a weird place. I got stock tip Dave again. Dave, you were such a hit last week. I had to bring you back, bro. Welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. Yeah, yeah. Dave's on, he's on a real short sentence thing going today. I don't know. You're really you're really chopping up your sentences today, but we'll get you flowing later. But in honor, you know, look, I, I got so many things on my mind, but like it is MLK Day, and it's very interesting because I grew up in Southfield, Michigan, and some of you who've, who've listened to the podcast before have heard me talk about it, but like I was very, very lucky. I grew up in a crazy diverse community. I did not grow up in a white bread neighborhood. I did not grow up in an all black neighborhood. I grew up black kids, white kids, Arabs, Chaldeans, they called them. Uh, They were a specific sect of people that came from Iraq and moved to Detroit in the 50s, 60s and started families. Um, I grew up, my high school was like an explosion. We had like punk rockers, rock and roll. I mean, I consider myself crazy lucky to have grown up around amazing characters. And so when I was growing up, I was looking at life like you already knew, like it was, it was, I'm sure there were some racist moments going on in our school. And I'm sure there people had deep rooted racism. Some people had it in their heart. But in my school, I'm not kidding, you got to know everybody intimately. Like, you got to know everybody in your class. So you had to be stupid to be racist, in my opinion. Like, you, if you didn't recognize that, like, this black kid over here has got the same damn problems and the same damn issues and the same shit going on that this, you know, white kid has got going at home. And everybody was like, everybody's hurt. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's... I felt like growing up, I could see that like we were all the same. And I don't, I'm not getting preachy. I'm just saying like I knew, you know, I knew poor black kids. I knew poor white kids. They had the same damn shit going on at home with different skin color, you know. And I could never, my family just was never a, we, we just weren't like a racist family. So it was hard for me to relate, you know what I mean, like. When I got to like Arizona for college, I go to college in Arizona, it is like 90% white people. And you would hear like racist comment shit going on. And obviously, you know, I wasn't I wasn't vibing with it at all. And sometimes like you would have people like they would make racist comments and think that you're on their side. You know what I mean? They'd be like, yo, these fucking guys. You know what I mean? They'd make a comment and be like, and I would I would always be like, yo, bro, I'm not on your fucking side, bro. I'm not feeling that. So, I don't know. I just want to say, get your shit together. You know what I mean? We're all the same. And I'm not kidding. I really do believe it. I've seen sensitive black gangsters. I've seen sensitive white, you know what I mean? Trash. I've seen poor white people with great hearts. I've seen black people who were assholes. I've seen Jews that were criminals. I've seen punk rockers that were crying in class. I've seen rock and rollers that hugged you and were sad everybody to me you know what i mean we're everybody's everyone's got something going on so treat your treat your people right treat your fellow human beings right and it sounds weird coming out of my mouth because i truly am not a preacher even in my comedy i don't try to come out and force anything you know what i mean but i can 
by the way, on that same note, I could never pretend that I know what it is to be black in America. I can never pretend to know that. You know what I mean? So I don't speak from any specific, I don't speak from a, anybody's shoes but my own. But from my experience growing up in a very diverse community, I really feel blessed to have learned early on and to already know that we're all going through the same, we're all going through shit. So be sensitive out there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know where you're from exactly, Dave. Probably a nice little Jewish community somewhere in Florida. But you probably had a little cultural mix, right? Oh, yeah, of course, in Orlando. But, like, the Jewish community in Orlando was the smallest one because it was the Bible Belt. And so it's kind of in the minority as far as my group. Right. So you probably got hit with more, you know, anti-Semitism than anybody. Oh, absolutely. My elementary school, we used to get a, honestly, we used to get a bomb threat once a month. And so we'd always have to have these drills, like, set in place that we had to learn. Just really? Because, just because it was a Hebrew, it was a Hebrew school, and so right. we'd always get threats. There was actually a KKK like rally, like in front of my elementary school when I was younger. Right. See, that's the type of shit that breaks your heart. Now, I was a rebellious kid. I was a scrappy, fighting type of guy. So I went to a Hebrew school that was in a neighborhood of mostly white, you know, lower class white kids. That was the school, but they used it as a Hebrew school when school hours were over. And I got thrown out of Hebrew school for inciting a riot because I was in Hebrew school one day and like, I'm not kidding, like a gang of like 12 white boys came towards our window, cursed like, you Jews this, Jew that, boom. And the teacher was freaked out. Most of the kids were freaked out. The kids started coming through the window. I picked up a chair and I launched it at the kids that were coming in the window. This is a true story. Oh, and <laughs> shit went down. And I just remember... My instinct was to fight and go into the fire. And obviously, I don't know how, I don't know why I got suspended or thrown out of Hebrew school for that. And looking back, I was trying to protect us. But I've seen, I've seen both sides of, you know, I've, I've seen, and that was obviously, you know, when you're a kid and you got to go to Hebrew school, it's different because you, you know, you got to go, they, they force you. You already went to your regular school, and now my mom and dad got me going to a Hebrew school to learn some shit to get through my bar mitzvah, which, by the way, you know, whatever. After they threw me out, I got a private tutor. I got through it. But my point is, you know, I saw anti-Semitism early on. And even before that, even before that, before we lived in the community that was really diverse, we lived in a lower-class white neighborhood that did not like Jews. And I, and I only say that because I remember, like, these were like the type of white trash, like the, I don't want to call them white trash, because I don't even like saying that, but like, these were like the type of white dudes that were like, they had leather jackets and guns. I was like, are we in 1950? Like, this shit <laughs> seems like a motorcycle gang movie. But like, I remember seeing like, there was like a whole family, like the whole family of like 10 kids that were like tough, rough thieves, you know what I mean? They would like steal the bikes in the neighborhood and keep a collection of bikes in their backyard. And then when I got like a like a couple of years after that, like I remember seeing like a gang fight, like a white gang fight. But thank God, you know, thank God my dad was just a hustler and like got us out of that neighborhood, you know what I mean? Like yeah, got into the scrap metal business, started making some money, got to the next neighborhood and that was where like the diversity kicked in. But you know, we're all the fucking same, man. How much yeah. time did you spend living there? We spent um, till third grade. I was in, we were in that the, that neighborhood until I was in third grade. And, you know, you don't, you think you're just, you know, you think you don't know a lot in third grade, but you still have all the emotions, you sense what's going on. 
And there was like these two crazy ass white trash motherfuckers. And I'll call them white trash because I know the one motherfucker. I don't even, I don't want I don't want to say his name because I've Googled him. Like I, I actually have looked up this dude because I used to have dreams of taking him to jail in a cage. And he first like I was I'm not you can't bully me now. Obviously, I'm a grown man, but like I know what bullying is. I used to be riding my bike home every day from school. This and I was only what are you? How old are you in third grade? 10, 12, 11, 9? I would say eight. Eight, eight or nine. I'm eight or nine years old. It's towards the end of third grade. I'm nine years old. This dude's 15, 16 years old. Big dude, big. And he would fucking just, he used to live, you know, right across the street. And he would come across the street and bam, fucking blast me in the face, knock me off my bike, kick me on the ground. Jew, you little Jew motherfucker. He would do that to me. He would do that to this other kid down the street. And I would just not have an answer for him because I wasn't like, when I got scared, I would freeze. Some kids would like run. Like my brother was good. He would run. I'd freeze and like either take the beating or go at it and just lose. And this dude would whoop my ass on the ground. I'd run in the house crying. And this like kept going on and on. And I'll have like these nightmares about this guy. And I'm not kidding. And my dad, you know, if you've ever heard me talk about my dad, my dad was like the coolest dude who, you know, back in the day, you know, he was, he knew everybody. He knew gangsters. He knew doctors. He knew police. He knew, my dad was a connected guy. He just knew people. And one day I, after like, you know, getting beat up multiple times, I've, dude came across and he he's like cursing at me and i tried to like give him the finger while i was riding my mickey mouse bike (laughs) like i put my finger up like kind of like you know like just i raised it just so in my mind i could be like i gave him the finger but he saw it he ran across the street bam popped me in my face got me on the ground started whooping my ass i got up from the i got up ran inside crying i remember like my mom was here my dad he sees what's going on he doesn't say one word to me he fucking tears excuse my language he tears ass out of my house i look my dad is going across the street and all i see from behind is my dad throwing like 12 15 punches whooping this kid's ass and beat his ass all the way across the street onto his porch into his house and I was like, I, I want to say that my dad was like in a robe. Like he was like, like, he was like in his like chill clothes or like a sweatsuit. And he whooped the dude's ass. And I tell this story and I, and you know, I, I don't think I made this up because I, I literally remember that the family, like they did move. I don't remember how close it was, but in my mind, two days later or three days later or on the, or the next Monday, there was a for sale sign on their house. And I always had the thought, like, you know, I, I don't know if I ever told you, but, like, my dad ran an all-men's health club before he ever got in the scrap business. It was the mob headquarters in Detroit. That's just a fact. You oh, can wow. look it up. It was called the Southfield Athletic Club. It's a famous place. You know, a lot of guys belong there. It was a, you know, certain period of time in the 70s that, like, everyone knew about the place. Pro athletes were there, judges, politicians, doctors, lawyers, gangsters. They belong there. My dad was just like a towel boy. You know what I mean? Like, and also like taught racquetball. He was like, a, my dad was like a pro racquetball player. Is that how I got how you got into boxing? That is how I got into boxing. Uh, that's exactly how I got into boxing. And I'll tell you that in a second. But while I always felt like my dad probably called one of his friends and said, "Listen, I, I got a problem." 
there's a family across the street. And by the way, the kid would like blow off quarter sticks of dynamite like with his other <laughs> fucking white trash friends. They'd blow off quarter sticks of dynamite. I'm, I'll never forget. Like, who does that? Like in the street. And quarter sticks of dynamite aren't like firecrackers or cherry bombs. They're like, boom. You know what I mean? It was like they were terrors. They were terrorizing the neighborhood. I can imagine. I had, I had one of my neighbors. He used to love lighting off firecrackers all over the place. So. <laughs> right. right. And would he throw them towards you and like scare you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So these are these are these type of guys, right? And these type of guys deserve their ass whooped. They deserve to be in jail. But long story short, my dad, I always believed, and he never ever mentioned it ever again to me, but I believe that like he made a couple calls. He Those people got visited by some people, and the next day there was a for sale sign on their lawn, and they had to move. And that's wow. just it, because we never saw them again. Was it the next day? I think it was the next day. <laughs> I mean, look, I wrote a pilot about it. I put it, I put it as the next day they had to move. And, you know, back in the 70s, the old gangsters, they didn't play around. So if you got that courtesy call you had to move that's just a fact or else you were done it's amazing but you know my whole point is is like i guess when you're young you just you're living on in you're just you're living on your bad angry instincts and i'm sure that dude's parents were racist you know what i mean or anti-semitic but like we were i think there was only one other jewish family in our neighborhood and it was funny because i remember like these guys these 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 dudes were like another level of tough you know what i mean like, me and my, my me and my brother were athletes, but these, like, white boys were, like, that crazy-ass, I was almost going to say, like, Gronkowski's family, because, you know, I got to work with Gronkowski, but not even, they're, they're not poor white trash. They are just freaks of nature, six-foot-five family of monsters. But these, this neighborhood was, was tough, and it kind of taught me early, like, oh, wow, man, people don't really like us, you know what I mean? Like... There's something against Jews that people really aren't digging. And I didn't really get it clearly. But then third grade, towards the end of third grade, I had to move. And then we moved to the next neighborhood, which was, you know, just a nicer, a little bit nicer neighborhood, more diverse community. And then, uh, you know, then I was in that school system in Southfield. And then uh, I don't know if it was like a, a law, like a local law. I don't know what it was. But then uh, the kids from Detroit City, inner city, finally could get bussed to our school. So then all of a sudden it was like, bam, like black kids, white kids are going to school together. And it just, to me, it made life better. It became way more fun. I've got great friends, you know what I mean? And they brought like a new culture to school. And to me, I was like, this is what life should be. Mix it up. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Mix it up. I mean, it's too bad that people still, you know, are stuck in that damn racist head. You know what I mean? And if you've been around enough different cultures, you learn you're not an asshole because you're this. You're an asshole because you're an asshole. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So you were at a public school then in Detroit. Yeah, public school. I was a, I'm was. i a full product of all public school system. Okay. You know yeah. what I mean? Because my experience was a little bit different because I've only been in private school, so. Which I get. But you are an open-minded Dude, you're an open-minded guy, and I could tell you don't have like that racist bone. I mean, uh, I, I mean, unless you're hiding all. hiding it well, you do not seem at all judgmental on that level. No, not at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you and you could see people when they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't hide it. it just wasn't the way I was raised. So mm -hmm. equal to everybody. Exactly. We're all the same. And my dad taught me that early. My dad was like, "Listen, you would call me boy. Listen, boy." 
you, te- you, you, know, you, treat the, you treat the plumber the same way you treat the CEO. You know what I mean? You treat that guy, you don't know what he's going through. You don't know what he's about. You know what I mean? You, you be cool with everybody. And that was like, you know, to me, that's the fun of life. You know what I mean? That's like, yeah, that's what the- I love about life. I love different people. That's why I'm a writer. That's why I write. I love different characters mixing them up. That's actually one of the reasons why I love living in big cities because they're so diverse. You meet people of all different walks of lives and had different experiences, come from different, you know. Of course. It's the best thing, it's the best thing about America to me. Let the, let it be a melting pot. Let's get let's mix it up. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like New York was the biggest melting pot ever. I've been in New York, Atlanta, Miami, and it's just all all of them have pretty been very diverse cities. Yeah. And to me, one of the it's one of the greatest things about stand-up comedy and going on the road. And I always say this to Saget, because Saget, you know, I'm, I'm working with Bob a lot lately, and we're going on the road. And, like, he's, like, a really genuinely sweet dude who's, like, definitely not from the streets at all. You know what I mean? Grew up, his father was a deli, you know, worked in a deli. Bob was cutting meat in the deli. You know what I mean? And, like, we'll go to a show somewhere, and because Bob, like, did a TV show on A&E about like, under, he actually did like an underworld culture show that I don't think anyone even saw it, but it, and it was canceled, but he did it for a while. And he, he got to be, hang out with like a biker gang, like a little straight up motorcycle gang. Wow. And I forgot the name of the, let's call it, I'm sorry. Let's call it a motorcycle club. You know what I mean? Where was I this? Get in, but we were in Florida or no, we were in like Pittsburgh and all of a sudden like four dudes in motorcycle club gear, badass looking dudes, goatees, long beards, <laughs> one percenters, badass dudes, had love for Bob. And to me, that's like, that shit makes me happy. Like, I love the fact that, like, by doing this job, by making people laugh, by spreading love, you know, and listen, not every comedian's act is like spreading love. But my point is, by doing that, you get like a collection, eclectic, a collection of friends and you don't know where they're going to come from and i just love seeing like straight up badass biker gang dudes like if we got a problem in pittsburgh on the east we know who to call there is a club that's got bob's back he doesn't need security you you guys got nothing to worry about nothing to worry about and it's to me it's like one of the beauties of this business you know of the of of the stand-up aspect of it what's actually the your favorite city that you've traveled to during your career Man, that's a tough one because New York is obviously like the cool, one of the greatest cities just to, you know, just to visit and be in anyway. And I almost can't even consider that like a town that for stand, like I can't even put that in like the favorite city for stand up. I'll, I'll say Nashville, man. Nashville? I've, yo, we went to Nashville for a week. We did like eight shows in one week. And Nashville, Tennessee was one of the coolest cities I've ever been to. Have you ever been to Nashville? No. And before we got there, I heard Nashville was awesome, but I didn't know what to expect. You know, it's, I'm not country. I didn't. I really didn't love country music. Well, by the time I left Nashville, I'm writing country songs, bro. I'm straight up. I am <laughs> nice. penning country songs. I've only been to Memphis. Memphis was fun, though. I can imagine Nashville would be just as great. Oh, yeah, I'm sure Memphis is great. And I've heard good things about Memphis. But Nashville is, like, young and popping. And, like, you know, we went into, like, the bars in Nashville, I think it was called Tootsie's, famous Nashville bar. We went into Tootsie's bar and like 
four o'clock in the afternoon, some country singer dude pops in, Luke something, I forgot. I'm not a country guy. But this guy starts singing a song on stage. Everybody goes crazy. Turns out the guy's got like a number one hit song on the radio, and he just happened to be in the neighborhood, wanted to pop in and sing a song. And I'm like, this is an awesome town. Now, obviously, I could become an alcoholic living in a place like that where daytime concerts are going on and like everybody's having fun drinking. I don't need that part of it in my life. But what I loved was totally culturally diverse, awesome entertainment on all levels. And like, I love like, it's a real artist place, like art, like people who are writers and musicians and, you know, probably a bunch of, I heard like a bunch of like screenwriters from out here live in Nashville. So by the time I left Nashville, I was like, I'm moving to Nashville. Plus the basketball stadium. Um, I think University of Tennessee plays right downtown and the tournament was going on. So I went to a couple games and the, and the basketball, the stadium was literally right five feet away from all the bars. So Nashville, if I had to pick one city like on the tour, I would say Nashville was a blast for sure. I mean, there's been a ton of cities and I've done a lot of things. Yeah, I can imagine because when I was living in Atlanta, that was where everybody's moving to. When they were in Atlanta, they were, I'm going to move to Nashville just because they love the environment, loved everything that you just said. I guess there's a big aquarium there people love going to as well. <laughs> the aquarium? Yeah. <laughs> the aquarium? Yeah. I didn't go to the, I didn't know we even talked about the aquarium. <laughs> I've got to check it out on the next run. But I've been to Atlanta. Atlanta is an awesome town. And I went to Atlanta. The first time I went to Atlanta, I went with Joe Rogan. So Joe, you know, I always say this, like Joe Rogan blessed me. That's a fact. He saw me at the comedy store 12, 13 years ago, whatever it was. I'm not good with like the year. But Joe was like, hey, man, I really like I like what you're doing. We were always kicking it, talking, just friendly in the parking lot. And he's like, yo, I got some gigs coming up. Do you want to go? Next thing I know, I am fully on the road with Joe. And he's already start. He's already blowing up from Fear Factor. It's right when he's about to, he's already into the MMA stuff. He's already like a badass MMA guy who like, you know, he knows all that shit already. And so he's got a following. So already I am going to open for Joe Rogan and I am fully on the road playing, sold out. And at the time it was like literally 500 seaters, 700 seaters, House of Blues in Vegas, 1500 seaters, packed places. But we went to Atlanta I remember because there were, I met like a girl in Atlanta, you know what I mean? And I she was like my Atlanta girlfriend for four years, you know what I mean? Just every time we'd go back. And I always, you know, she I think she visited L.A. a couple times. And, you know, on this show, we only tell stories. We don't tell names when it comes to that type of Absolutely. stuff. But we, me and Joe, were on the road. And we had the greatest time in Atlanta. I remember we went to the strip clubs in Atlanta. Yeah, they got strip clubs, Buckhead. Like, there's just girls everywhere. It's a great city. Oh, my God. It's one of my favorites. That's, I lived there for three years, and I still to this day say it's one of my favorite cities. What a great city. Yeah, this girl lived in Buckhead. Her dad was like owned like a liquor distribution company. It was like, this girl was like younger than me, but like lived in a penthouse. You know what I mean? I think I had a, sh- a, I, I think I had a sugar mama in Atlanta. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I got to thank Joe for that. Because it ended up being a blast, but we would we would do shows in Atlanta, and roll to the strip club. Strip clubs were off the chain. I remember distinctly they had the best New York strip steak ever. I don't remember the name of the strip club. I'm gonna guess you guys went to like Magic City or something. That's what it was called over there. Maybe, maybe that might ring a bell. That might ring a bell. And for some reason, I was like 
into yoga at the time. Like I was really like feeling good about like I was just like, I don't know, man. I was like really in like a Zen space. I don't even know why I brought that up. I just remembered like I just remembered I'd be doing yoga in my in my hotel before we do the show. See, here's what was funny about my job in Atlanta. So um, since strip clubs were very prominent in the city of Atlanta, one of them actually bought um, club seats or or yeah premium seats at the Atlanta at, no, at the Atlanta Hawks games, and they would send their girls in just to sit in the club center club seats, attract attention, and hand out the cards to go to the strip clubs at the club in the club area of the Atlanta Hawks arena. That's an amazing. See, that's a great business move. Strip clubs got that. I mean, that's my godfather used to tell me that. Like, beautiful women will sell tickets. You know, they excellent. Put beautiful girls in everything. They're, they're gonna sell tickets, which is like, it's almost. I, I'm not like not allowed to say something like that because of the times that we're living in. And but I don't give a fuck about. I'm not, I'm not saying anything wrong. You know what I mean? Beautiful people. Like, you put some fine girls in the Atlanta Hawks in the box. They hand out cards. The strip club is packed yeah, that night. Absolutely. You'd be, you'd be sitting there talking to your buddy, and then all of a sudden, just five gorgeous women walk by, and you're like, what's going on right now? Wait, were you selling tickets for the Hawks? Were you selling premium seats? I sold everything for about three years. Premium seats, like courtside seats. Like, it was fun. What, would you be on a computer, like, look, like you, looking at what seats are available and then, like, reaching out to corporations going, hey, do you guys want to buy these seats? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd always call the businesses because... They spent the most money. You could sell the courtside seats. It was just a better sale. Would it be a cold calling? Would you be cold calling these people? Or like they, they were already on the list of like, you had like a list of all the people with money in Atlanta that could potentially buy seats. Absolutely. It was actually both. It was cold calling, but then we'd have these lists that said these companies make this amount of money per year. And so you knew they would have a big budget. And so you'd go right for like the high end seats. It's so funny, man. Everybody's got everybody's information. Absolutely. Like, I must have got lists of at least three to 400 different businesses in the city of Atlanta. It told me their employees, like, everything. Started GoFundMe in Atlanta. Go <laughs> fund stock tip Dave. By the way, one of the comedians here, just to so you know, you gave him a stock tip on the Canadian on the Canadian marijuana company. You know it took a dip. Oh, yeah. He's, he's okay, though. He's okay. He's going to hold the stock. He's not mad. But he told, oh, yeah. he told me it took a solid dip. I told him go in and get more because it's going to go back up. So we'll see what happens. But it, it, was it had a, it a bad was, end of the week. It was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It was like, I don't know what happened. Do you not know? Like, do you just have no idea? Because well, I got people around here at the comedy store calling you Stock Tip Dave. They're taking your advice. And now I think six comedians, are they're out 2,000 each. But don't worry. Don't feel guilty. It's all going to make a comeback. Dave makes money for everybody. Yeah, those stocks were just going up and up and up. And then randomly, just two days I promise nothing to worry about. Okay, okay. Give it a minute, fellas. Just give it a minute. It's going to all come back. It's a long-term investment. Yes. Everything's long-term. Just hold it. Hold it. Marijuana's not going anywhere. But, uh, you know, you you talk about the road. And, by the way, going on the road is a great... Talk about diversity, bro. You know what I mean? Talk about, you know, meeting awesome people. I got to... So, I went on the road with Rogan for like a year and a half. Almost maybe two years. Me, Joe, Joey Diaz, you know what I mean? Who, by the way, if you don't know, I'm sure you know Joey Diaz if you're listening to any podcast with a comedian, but arguably the funniest human being in the earth, like on earth, like literally the funniest dude I know. I mean, I almost want to do his bit that I saw the other night because he did this bit about, he talked about like the Terry Crews incident and like Terry Crews is going after this dude who hit on him or like grabbed his, like, like grabbed his junk at a party. And Joey Diaz's bit on it, 
just just go listen to Joey Diaz. I, I don't want to do his bit injustice, but it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Of course, of course, Kyle. Yo, of course he's going to hate on you. you. You had your shirt off for seven years in an Old Spice commercial. Are you kidding? <laughs> You're making it. It's a dream come true for him. Yeah, I'm not doing it justice, but bottom line is go check out Joey Diaz. He's the funniest dude ever. But going on the road, so after going on the road with Rogan, then we did the Young American Comedy Tour that, that we put together, which was a diverse tour. Me, Tony Rock, Bobby Lee. So it's Jew, African American, Korean, and you know we'd have a token, no, and we'd have Italian, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco. And, going, and that was the whole concept behind the Young American Tour, was to go diversity, everybody's a hard hitter, let's take it out into the world and show, you know, Let's show four different styles of comedy, four different backgrounds. This is what America should be. America should not be a bunch of fucking white boys. You know what I mean? Anywhere. I, I don't even, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about saying, saying it like that. Like, I don't want to get, to, don't, don't call in hating on me for like, I'm not hating on white. I'm white. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm Jew, but I look white. My point is, diversity to me is makes the world fun. It makes the world better. It's like, let's mix it up. Let's get to know each other. You know what I mean? And, you know, I keep repeating the Michael Stipe song or the R.E.M. song, but everybody hurts. Absolutely. So everyone's got some shit going on. You know, they really do. Like, I talked to a comedian buddy of mine today, you know, and he was... You know, he's, he moved back to Chicago and he was kind of feeling like a little stressed out over, you know, the way things are going. And he kind of felt like a couple comedians that he came up with, you know, were like ignoring him or hadn't called him back. And I said, yo, bro, listen, everybody's going through shit. You can't be mad. Like you think you can't take it personally. You know, you might reach out to somebody. They don't get back for a month, three weeks. You have no idea if like, God forbid, if like their kid is sick. You know what I mean? You don't know what people are going through. So, like, chill out, you it's know? It's got to be open-minded. Just Not just open-minded, but handle what you can handle. Take care of your business that you have control of, you know? Like, I really do. Like, I'm not, I'm not into, like, every book, like, the four agreements and the seven spiritual laws. And those, are, those are cool. Those are, they give you some basic knowledge about how to live your life. But, like, I do believe in don't take shit personally because you don't know what somebody else is going through. But that being said, there's nothing wrong with speaking your mind. And like, if you feel like putting someone in check, put them in check. Not in a mean way, but just like say what you feel. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's necessary. And like, he told me some shit that was going on with him and like somebody here from LA that like really did him wrong. And I said, bro, I'm not here to tell you to stop you from talking to the dude. Like, go say something to him, put him in check. Have a have a man to man conversation with him. Let him know he's wrong. You know, I yo, I had a I had, you know, I'm not conf, I have been confrontational in my past. I've learned most of the, you know, I've learned from like my mistakes. But last night I had an incident. What not, nothing nothing major. And I'm not gonna say any names. But like there's a comedian who when I was on the road, you know, a year ago, I was on the road with Saget. Dude called me up, said, Yo, Mike, do me a favor. My kid loves Bob, man. He loves Bob. Full House's favorite show. Fuller House is his favorite thing now. Would you please have him like just say a quick happy birthday? Now this dude's not my boy. He's, we know each other kind of, but like I don't hang with him. 
but I liked him. I like him. I, yeah, whatever. I'm not even that mad anymore. But like, I did it. I just said, Bob, do me a favor, man. My buddy who's in LA, he's a, he's on a, like a TV show and on MTV or something and whatever. His kid loves you. Would you just say happy birthday? No problem. Boom. Right away I did it. Filmed it, sent it to the guy, right? I don't even know that this guy like puts on comedy shows at the time. I do not. I know he's a comedian, but I don't know he's like promoting shows. So I see him like a few months after that. I'm like, hey, bro, I heard you got a show. Like, I'd love to get on it. I'd love to get on your show. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put you on. I'll put you on. Now, he doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me. I don't look at it. I didn't do that so that I would have a favor in the pocket. Yeah, of course, I don't give a shit. Hell no. I didn't even know he did these th- these shows. So then, like, and maybe I was, like, jacked up on a little bit too much, cap, like, coffee. <laughs> like, I went out last night for dinner, and I had a double espresso. I oh, can, man. You know you're, I mean? you're wired. I was wired on caffeine, for sure. I get up here. You know, it's taking forever to get up. You know, I'm, like, pacing around. I feel great. I'm having great conversations everywhere. The dude's got a sold-out show in the main room. Packed. David Allen Greer's on the show. Uh, the dude uh, from Saturday Night Live who played the monkey in the tree. What's the dude's name? He played like the, damn, Chris Kattan. Kattan? Kattan? Yeah, Chris Kattan. Chris Kattan, great guy. He's in the green room. We're all chopping it up, talking. I say to the dude who I got the thing for, for Sagan, I said, hey, if you need me, I'm just letting you know I'm here. If you need me to do like 10 minutes, seven minutes, whatever, I'm here. Because I'm fiending for stage time. I got a lot to talk about and I want to get some new stuff out. So I'm, I'm here if you need yeah, me. Gotta get that new material. Gotta get the new material. Are you saying that because my old materials bunk, or you just no no? no understand? I know you're writing all this new stuff, and okay. you got You want to try to get that, get that out there? Exactly. I got my note. My notes are in my pocket. I got new material. I want to talk about it. That's it. I said, "Hey, I'm here if you need me." He goes, and it's January fifteenth. He goes, "Oh no, bro, sorry, man. You know, I got, but I can put you on in March." He goes, "I can put you on my show in March." Oh wow! So I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, we just you hope that you're alive in March. March is like two and a half months away. A thousand things can happen in March. I don't want to be on your show in March. I want to be on your show right now. Absolutely. If it's possible. Like tomorrow. Like tomorrow. Next week. Don't talk to me about March. I got, I'm going to be shooting a movie in April. We'll be prepping in March. Thank you. So in my mind, I take a beat. I'm like, I don't say anything right there. I'm like, no, no, I'm good. Forget March. I'm good. I go outside. I'm in the, I'm in the parking lot of the comedy store and I'm, you know, I'm starting to stew. I'm thinking, man, I'm talking to myself in my head. I'm like, am I wrong if I go back in and just go, dude, you're a punk. Like, that's just a punk move. You know what I mean? And like, you don't live by any man. Like, you don't live by any code. You got no code. Like, I didn't do that thing. Go ahead. I was going to say, you did the favor for him. And then he's like, oh, we'll do it down the road for you. Yeah. But like I said, I didn't do the favor to get a favor. I did it out of my goodness of my heart for his kid. And that that I let it I let it lie, but like, if I do, it, 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 I don't know, man. Maybe maybe everyone thinks differently, but like in my mind, put me on your show right now, bro. That's what I would do. Absolutely. It's like like I said, Joe wrote Joe put me on his tour for a year and a half. That opened the door crazy for me. If Joe was ever like, yo, Mike, I need and like he doesn't need anything from me, believe me, but like. If I had like a cool ass part in the next movie and blah, 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 you get, I got you, I got you. I, I'll never forget what you did for me. It's just that mentality. Absolutely. It's like he didn't have that. 
And he got all flustered. So I did, oh, so I'm in the parking lot and I, I run it by one of my boys, Kirk Fox, great comedian, buddy, good friend of mine. I said, Kirk, am I crazy? Cause I got to tell you, I, I go, am I crazy? Or should I go back in and say something to this guy? And he goes, no, go back in, say something to him. Absolutely. Just let him know, like, you know, look, I didn't do that, you know, to get a favor from you. But like, what do you mean, March, buddy? Don't you have any kind of ethical code? I said, <laughs> you're right, man. You're right. So I went back in. I couldn't find him. So like a girl, I texted him. I said, hey, man, I didn't do that favor for you out of a favor. I just really don't understand why you would ask me to go on your show in March when you do a show every week. And, you know, that's all. You, I said, you don't owe me anything. But you just forgot that, like, you just, you just, we live by different standards, I said. So then, oh, then, so then, he, then I did see him. I thought he had left, but then I saw him in the kitchen. I said, hey, bro, did you get my text? He's like, no, no, what'd you say? And he thought, oh, no, he, he, he came out of the kitchen. We were in the back area where everybody's hanging out and like Jeremy Piven was back there. Cause Jeremy Piven's now doing stand-up comedy. It's another story, but I see the dude. I said, you get my text. He goes, no, what'd you say? I said, I said, I, I just want to know, like when I, like when I asked you to get on your show and you told me March in two months, I'm trying to understand why you would say that. Like I'm a, I'm a, I can, I, I'm going to help your show. I'm going to make your show better. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Not only I'm I'm a strong comedian. I mean, if I I'm not trying to brag, but like I'm not gonna ruin your show. I'm gonna help your show. Your audience is gonna be very happy. You know what I mean? And everyone's gonna be cool. Like it's gonna be a really great show. I mean, Trust everything me. I've seen you've done has been hilarious. Like you have them dying at the comedy store, even in the movies. Your little, you know, you've always pushed yourself in little cameos, and those cameos always sound great because you just. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that, by the way. And by the way, after putting myself in cameos in my own movies, I'm putting myself in more of my movie. I'm putting myself. I'm giving myself more than a cameo. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start really stretching out because I can if I want. So, actually, my favorite you. cameo was the one where you were uh, actually in the jail cell. Thank you. Thank you. That was fun. <laughs> that was funny, right? I mean, I was over. I was really just doing my bit. I was really basically just doing my own comedy bit. But I anyway, I did. When I shot a stand-up guy, when Danny A's character gets locked up, I'm his cellmate, and he's, like, stressed out about this, uh, and he's got, like, a new girl. And so I just basically, like, ran my bit behind him about women and, you know, over 30, under 30. I basically did my bit in the jail cell, and I was just annoying him as his cellmate. And he was like, what the hell? So it was, <laughs> th I'm glad you appreciated it, and it was I had a great time doing it. Um, but back to the story. So I confront him in a very nice way. You know, I'm like... I'm like, I don't understand how you think. Like, I just wanted to know, like, where's your head at? Because it really was bizarre to me that, like, I've known the guy for years. You know, I, I was just doing something for his kid out of the goodness of my heart, not expecting anything. But what kind of person, like, just looks at you and is like, yeah, bro, I'll hook you up in two months. So I'm thinking maybe he forgot that, like, that whole thing happened, like, back in the day with Bob. And, and I said... And I, t I reminded him, and he's like, oh, so you just want to do, you just expect a favor from a favor and a favor. And then I realized I was talking to somebody that didn't have their head on straight. Absolutely. And that's when I just said, yo, bro, you don't owe me anything. I just, we just have, we just live by different standards. Go ahead, bro. Have a good show. Do your thing. Then he was like so flustered. He's like, you don't understand. Curtis at the comedy store says that I got to be off stage by this time and this time. And I said, it's all good, bro. 
trust me when I tell you another seven minutes on your show, it'd be okay. I'll talk to Curtis. We, we make it all good. So I had like that, cause I'm very non-confrontational because it's funny as I, even though I'm a writer and a performer, I am not good when I'm emotional getting into an argument with another person. It's, it's the fault of all my past failed relationships. You know what I mean? It takes me forever to get my head together, to say some shit. And, but yeah. I'm working on it. They're no good. Yeah. And I, I don't know why I'm not good at that. Cause some people are great. I know people that love it. And then there's people that hate it. There's people that love it. And they're really good at like that medium angry voice, like that mid-level voice where they're confrontational yet calm and can like really lay it out. I think, I don't know, man, I'm just built differently. You know Absolutely. what I mean? I'm the same way. I hate confrontation, but then again, I do know people that just, they thrive on it. They love it. And so it's just, it really depends on the person. It's like those lawyers, just the lawyer types. They're just, they just got that gift. I go right to a fist fight, <laughs> <laughs> which has never served me well ever, literally. But I go right to frustrated, physical. Now we're in a physical situation. Yeah, I'm different. I've actually never been in a fight, so I can't, I can't, uh, have you never, ever, ever been in a fist fight? Never. There's something I love about that, but there's also something. I mean, listen, you're not a you're not an imposing guy. So like, you guys haven't met Stock Tip Dave, but we talked last week. You know, you're not big. You're five four, yeah. five five. You know what I mean? Pretty but, small. But let it be known, both my uncles that were professional boxers were flyweights. Where one was a, a super lightweight, one was a flyweight. So one of my uncles was only a hundred and uh, like twenty three pounds or whatever it is. So what are you one forty, one thirty five? Actually less. Actually, checked the other day. I'm like one thirty. <laughs> okay, so just so you know, Tommy Hearns was one forty seven. Oh, so wow. he was only seventeen pounds heavier, and he was middleweight champion of the world and six time world champion. But so you got potential. But my point is, I, I can't believe you've never been in any kind of fist fight, which I love, but I kind of feel like I should teach you how to box. That would be fun because here's what you'll love about this. I've never been in a fist fight, but, you know, after I've had a few drinks, I always like to do this thing where I call the fists of fury. And I do these, you know, little <laughs> tiny punches. And I think it's funny. Yeah, it is funny. But I think, and I've seen you like throw your little tiny fists of fury punches. <laughs> and you are somewhat, you are athletic. So I'm going to let you know that like boxing, if you're already somewhat of an athlete, you've got to jump on, on a lot of people that are uncoordinated. So believe it or not, I could actually teach you how to box a little bit. So at least, God forbid, you could defend yourself against a small man that might pick on you or a woman in a bar yeah, so, that's got a problem with yeah. you. And just Because like no week, big fellow is going to pick on you. There's just no way. Yeah. There's no way you could do anything for that. It'd be, it'd be fun to learn because like I said last week, you'd be surprised. I do have some basketball skills and pretty quick, have some good handles and I can shoot. Um, sorry, I'm just, I, I got some, uh, some strong texts coming, um, talking about my, it was from my producer. Um, yeah, no, no, we're going to get in the boxing gym. I'm going to get you, I'm going to get the pad. I'm actually buying the pads this week. I'm buying the pads this week. And, uh, because uh, a friend of mine, she wants to, she wants to box and she's actually got skills and not a lot of people know how to hold pads. And it's like an art form. Like you have to, there's nothing worse than when you're boxing and the whoever's on the other end doesn't know how to properly hold pads because A, they could hurt you and B, they just, it's just, it's just not fun boxing with someone who doesn't know how to catch pads. So catching pads, like if you watch TV and you watch like, you know, Freddie Roach is a master. You know what I mean? He masters the art of holding pads. And uh, I think his name was uh, uh, 
Don, I forgot Don's last name, but there's a couple guys out there in the world that know how to do it, but you have to have real boxing experience to do it. So point being, we'll get you in the ring, Dave, because I can't have Connolly picking on you anymore. Yeah, I, want, I want you to punch him in the shoulder one time just so he can feel like a nice little, you know what I mean? Like, and by the way, for his size, Connolly's very strong. He's like got bone density. I don't know what it is. And he has no fear, so he will whoop your ass. Oh. But I want, I'm want i going to teach you how to throw a punch just so you could get a little shot in so you could feel good. Oh, yeah, he's, he's definitely hurt. pretty strong. But I'll tell you this, though. My, the, only experience <laughs> ever, but the only experience I've actually ever had in a boxing ring was actually in college, and they gave us these oversized gloves as a joke. It was like a fraternity party or something. I went in there. These gigantic oversized gloves, and I couldn't, I could barely lift them up, and I'm sitting there trying to, you know, throw punches. Right, that's a fraternity move. That's fun. If like, and I've done that, but like, my family has like little first grade. When we were in first grade. All my cousins, I got 13 first cousins. Most of them are boys. All athletes. All big. All strong. All can fight. So our relatives would give us those things, those rock'em, sock'em, whatever they were called, like the big, they were like balloons on your hand, and we would go at it, you know what I mean, until we turned, until we got into like actual boxing gloves. But like, you can, you can hurt somebody if you know how to throw a punch with one of those things on. You gotta oh, be yeah. careful. They're huge. They like weigh like 20 pounds each. That's hilarious. <laughs> you were in a fraternity in school? Uh, maybe for like one year, so it was like a... It was like a sorority fraternity party they rented a ring got these oversized gloves on purpose and it was just like you know it's funny man i was thrown out of a fraternity i was i was in a frater- i was in a frat for like two weeks i didn't really want to be in one but i thought that was the way to play intermediate sports i did it just so i could be in a basketball tournament yeah i got <laughs> recruited based on my solid right arm they saw me throw a football out in the field one day and they asked me to be in the frat but one day and I'm fresh out of Detroit, and I go to University of Arizona. I'm in the, I don't even know anything about fraternities other than what you see on TV or in a movie. I swear to God, I didn't know anyone in a fraternity. And there's twins in the frat. These two dudes are twins, and they're older dudes. And I'm a, I'm a freshman, and they're picking on me and doing what they do and like that whole hazing thing, which I didn't, I didn't fuck with that. I, I didn't flow with that at all. And all of a sudden, there's two. The two twins are in front of me, and one of them's like. Who am I? Which one am I? What's my name? And I'm like, Scott. And he's like, I'm Steve. And the other one's like, da 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 da. And they're like in my face, up on me. And I'm and in my mind, I'm like, are they crazy? Like, nobody yells. I don't get yelled at like this. I didn't have any like, I didn't even have, I didn't have, I didn't believe in the fraternity the way this was going down. So I th- pushed the one brother. They were brothers in the fraternity. I pushed him over a bed that was behind him. I threw him down, and I said to the other one, "Yo, bro, if you ever say another, you know, if you ever spit in my face and get that close, I'm gonna beat you. I'm gonna knock you out." Next day, the head of the fraternity comes. He's like, "Listen, man, uh, obviously this is not for you. This is not you. So we're gonna have to ask you to leave. You threatened a brother, and that was the end of my fraternity career." And thank God, because I met the 10, my 10 best friends that are my friends for life, are my boys forever. Those, none of us were in a frat and we ended up having the greatest time at University of Arizona that you could ever have. Nice. Yeah. See, I kind of fell into it. I had no intention of even joining one. And then I just happened to get a roommate who was in a fraternity and those guys were all hanging out and I literally had just had surgery, had a huge cast on my leg and they were like, like, oh, you should rush the fraternity. I'm like, dude, I have a cast the size of my leg. I can't join this. Yeah. And they were trying to pressure you and treat yeah. you like a dog as a, as a, as a uh, what do they call it? A pledge? Yeah. And I actually went along with it for a little bit and then I got annoyed because, you know, 
I had to cast the size of my leg. And they were getting mad at me for being late at late to places. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? I'm crutching around. That whole that whole world is weird, man. The whole frat world. Like, you know, I, I'm sure I have friends that now that like we're in a fraternity and still have love for it. And you belong to a group. But like no group was going to define me. No way. And I remember it was ZBT. It was like an all Jewish fraternity. And it was like, I got too many friends of diversity in this world to be repped by like one specific thing. A and B, I don't deal with any group that thinks like, you know, I was calling me, man, that thinks that like on any level, this is okay. You know what I mean? This is not okay to treat me like a dog, have me picking up weird shit. It's not making me a bond. It's not giving me a bond. It's not making me tight. You know, we're not, we're not getting closer. I didn't like it. And I'll never forget my, my hood friend from Detroit flew out to visit me in Arizona he doesn't even know what he didn't go. He barely got out of high school. He didn't know what the hell a fraternity was. We go to a fraternity party. Next thing I know, we are in a full blown fist fight. Two on it's like two of us against seven dudes. My boy turns around. It's like one of these fraternities that's like got money. It's like I don't know, like some white, one of those like rich white boy fraternities. And my boy rips the grill off of like a Mercedes or be a car. Rips the grill off throws the grill into the crowd and we just start running down the street and we got away thank god because we would have got stomped by seven dudes probably but not a big fan of the fraternal you know organizations over there i get it if you're going to a place where you know nobody and you got no social life it'll be good for you but it wasn't my thing oh yeah definitely you know what i mean what wasn't my thing see i was about to ask you if you if you won that fight against those seven guys I didn't win. We didn't end up squaring up straight up, but I did unfortunately have a few big fights in college. And it was basically, I never started a fight. I never in my life. I mean, maybe once in my life as a kid, like a 10, 12, 13, 14 year old dummy, I might've picked on like, I might've, I might've just like said some shit cause I was angry and started some shit. But like, I've never started a fight really in my life. So we're at U of A and I come out of the bar one night and I started the U of A boxing club. So I was in shape. I could box, you know what I mean? And there was like a bunch of my, and this girl, this girl I was dating at the time, her friend was outside of, um, her friend was outside the bar and like a bunch of dudes were yelling at her, all these dudes, you whore, you this, you that. And I, I, I see this right before I get my car. I'm like, is that Julie? And my boy Mike was with me, and I'm like, yo, bro, hold on one sec. We walk over there. We're like, yo, what's up, fellas? What do you, you know, this, this, is my, this is my friend right here. What are you yelling at her? They're all drunk all together, these dudes. They're all drunk. And I'm like, what's up, fellas? Like, you stop yelling at her. Julie, come with us. Let's go. Let's get in the car. Let's go. We go. We get in the car. I start the car. I'll never forget I had a Grand Am in college, this little <laughs> blue car. Thing made it across the country twice by myself. So we get in the car, we start to take off. I look through my rear view mirror. They, the guys are all coming towards me. One dude pulls out like a bunch of change and fires it at my car. So it's like ding, 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 ding. Wow. So I'm already, my mind is made up. It's going down. I park the car. I tell my boy, like, I don't even want anyone else to get hurt. So I tell my boy, I'll be right back. Just wait here. He's like, fuck that. He gets out with me. I walk up. I see the dude that did it. I said, yo, bro, did you just throw change at my car? He's like, no, it wasn't me. Real cocky, arrogant, rich white boy. And I just fucking, bam, laid him out. One shot to the chin. He was, and by the way, 
I actually kind of felt a little bad in his whole circle of friends. Nobody did shit. I knocked him out. He was on the ground. like One, one punch? One punch. I busted his jaw and he started like shaking, like convulsing. And I actually got scared for a second. But the only tough thing I could say was, yo, you guys better take care of your friend. You know what I mean? Like I had nothing else to say. He was on the ground convulsing and it was scary, but they got him up. Turned out that I actually did. I, I heard him. Like his jaw was See, truly broken. I was gonna say, that's actually one of my favorite things to say to people when I'm, you know, obviously I can't fight. Like I can't do what you just did, one punch and them hitting the ground. But I'm always like, hey, it'll be me taking one punch, me hitting you, and then you hitting the ground. I love saying that to people. <laughs> Dave, that's why you're an old soul, bro. It's like, that's like a 90-year-old joke. Like there's <laughs> going to be two hits, me hitting you and you hitting the ground. You, you're like, you've like embodied the soul of my grandfather. It's one of my favorite jokes. That's amazing. <laughs> but the funny, and it's not funny, and I kind of like, listen, you don't want to hurt someone like that, but like, you want to come at me seven dudes, you guys want to get tough, throw shit at my car, it's just me, my boy, and a girl, all you guys are going to gang up, bam, I'm taking out the biggest loudmouth, you're out, he's on the ground, so I start to hear through the grapevine that I that his jaw was broken, and this whole fraternity was looking for me, uh, I think it was like, like, I don't want to say the fraternity, because I don't, I don't need a bunch of frat guys looking at me, but like one of those frats, like one of those white boy frats, and... I just had a bad attitude anyway, so I really didn't care. I was boxing every day in South Tucson with black kids, Mexican kids in the hood. Yeah, so you know what you're doing. Boxing in tournaments in, in airplane hangars in South Tucson. So I wasn't really worried about that, but like I didn't like the fact that people were looking for me. So anyway, time goes by. I don't hear anything. I go to the gym, and I'm getting a workout in just the regular gym like the like where all the, the students work out. And I'm doing my gym stuff, and boom, I see the dude wired jaw jaw wired shut breathing like this working out <laughs> How he's, he's working out he's this not, is months later months later five months later maybe no i mean i don't know two months three months i don't know how long you have to keep your jaw wired but like i saw him like 50 feet away not even 20 feet away wired jaw working out so i didn't want to go up and say anything to him but i did linger around just to see if he would know who i was because I really was going to be like, say something like, yo, bro, I didn't, you know, want you to get hurt like this, but who's calling me, man? I didn't want you to get hurt like this, but like, that's what happens. You're abusing a girl on the street. You got a gang of dudes against one girl. You pull out a bunch of shit. You throw it at my car. You chip all the paint. Yeah, it's a cheap car. So what? And this is what happens. You can't do, I was going to say, I was going to let him know, but I think breaking his jaw and having his shit wired shut was enough to let him know. So now he's just got to drink and eat out of his straw. Oh, see, you know, he was strawed out. I love your impression, though. You got to do his breathing again. Yeah. Is that you? Is that, hey, bro, is that you? He <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't see me. And the reason that you, to me, it's like the reason that you do take boxing or you do take martial arts is so that you don't have to get into a fight. And if you like the real badass dudes that are out there in the world, they don't start fights. Truly badass dudes, they don't start shit. It's the loudmouth idiots that are always starting shit. And I just, you know, look, from a very young age, my dad was like, the bullying shit is over. I'm not having my kids be little getting bullied. So you're going to get in the gym or you're, they actually had the Kronk boxing team out of Detroit. 
Emmanuel Stewart, rest in rest in peace, Emmanuel. But like Emmanuel, he he was Tommy Hearns' trainer, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson. He was the best trainer of all time, one of them, arguably, and Hall of Fame. And he was from Detroit, and he was friends with my dad. So they used to send like two of the pro boxers to the club when I was a kid, and teach us how to box basic boxing in the racquetball courts. Oh, and they incredible. would just, yeah, and they would just have like me, my brother, my dad's friends, kids. I remember like there was a few of us just like basic jab, basic right hand, basic hook, and just kind of teach us footwork, you know, follow their motions. And so we just started to learn at a young age about boxing. And it, and, and to me, I gravitated towards it because I had really good hands. Like I was always slow footed. I couldn't run fast, but I had really good hands and hand eye coordination. And I realized that that was like a great attribute already to get to kind of be ahead of the game in boxing. And then obviously my dad, my parents did not want me. Both my uncles were professional boxers. My two great uncles, my mom's uncles, my uncle Jerry, my uncle Morty. And they were, uh, they both had over 50 pro fights. Oh, wow. That's yeah, incredible. like Detroit, they, Jersey, Chicago, New York. They fought everywhere. How were they? Were they like 45 and 5 or what were they? Yeah, they were great. They were great. Like my Uncle Jerry was, uh, they put him in Marciano's camp for a while, like Rocky Mar Marciano's camp. And they had him in there just moving around with Marciano back to get Marciano's speed up because Marciano was fighting, I, I think he was heavyweight. I think he was a heavyweight or was Mar Rocky Marciano? Yeah. I think. I don't know, man. I'm blanking. Yeah. But anyway, he had him in there to get... My my uncle was little. Flyweight dude. So they had him moving around the ring with him just to get Marciano's speed up to par. You know, just for training sessions. And my uncle had amazing stories. But he was like, you know, real deal. You know, when you fought that much professionally, you're a different level of tough. You know what I mean? You just are. And he, he was the funniest... My, he was a, a total prankster and like one of the best senses of humor and one of the funniest guys ever, my Uncle Jerry. But he was a true badass. And like my grandpa, he and my grandpa, they used to own bars in Detroit. And they weren't big, imposing figures, but they could just fight professionally yeah. for real. And Detroit was so rough in the 60s and the 70s that when shit would go down in the bar, they would handle it like they, they would just handle it. You know? I mean, if they were helping out Rocky Marciano, they would have to be pretty impressive. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not going to answer that. I don't know who that is, 310. But yes, they were, yes, they were impressive. And my uncle was, he fought, you know, he knew about the guys like the Willie Peps and the Sandy Sadlers and the guys that were like the highest level world champions. Barney Ross, like he was in their camps. He, but he sparred with a lot of guys in that, in that era. So he was, he, he had like world-class potential. But it's funny because... He was my great uncle, so under him was my uncles, my you know my mom's brothers and and my dad's brothers, but my mom had one brother, my you know, rest in peace to my uncle David. He thought he would take up boxing, you know, just because his uncles were boxing, and so he was proud of his uncles and thought he could do it because he was very he was super strong. But what you learn in boxing is your physical, just your strength. It, it doesn't make doesn't mean shit against a guy that knows how to box. Absolutely. Boxing is like, you could be 115 pounds, and if you know how to put all 115 behind it, you're going to whoop someone's ass. Yeah, there's a reason why I stick, you know, I stayed with basketball when I was younger, because, you know, a couple experiences with different sports. You know, I tried football. Obviously, I'm the tiniest guy out there, and you're playing, you know, tackle football in the neighborhood, and I was just getting drilled left and right, and I'm like, no, this isn't for me. Then I tried baseball. First time, you know, the actual real baseball, the baseball hits me in the mouth, and so it loosens up some teeth, and I'm like, no. <laughs> 
I'm not going to do baseball. (laughs) And then basketball, I just happened to be good at it. So I stuck to that, you know, not too much contact for me because I was quicker than everybody because, you know, dribble around everybody. So I I would probably last half a round in boxing. No, not if I'm going to train you. I'm going to get I'm going to get you up to par. We're going to pick somebody out of goal and have you spar. With them, I don't know who it's going to be, but we're going to. I'll get you in shape. When I moved to Chicago after college, I taught boxing. I, I didn't have any job out of college. I didn't know what I was going to do. I moved with a girl to Chicago, and I just thought that this was going to be. I'll figure out my life. I knew I wanted to be a comedian. I just didn't know when. And the first job I took was I went to a high-end health club. I was like, hey, do you guys have boxing here? And they're like, no. And it was a bunch of rich people in Chicago at the East Bank Club, which is like a big club in Chicago, like a major. It's like the It might be the nicest health club I've ever seen. <clears throat> I walked in. I was like, hey, I'd love to teach boxing. The guy's like, well, do you know how to box? I'm like, yeah. He's like, are you sure? Because we have a heavy bag upstairs and a speed bag. I said, come on up. I'll show you that I can at least hit the speed bag and jump. I'll show you what's up. Long story short, they're like, is $42 an hour good for you? I was like, hell yeah, that's that's great for me. So I was making like 250 cash a day teaching all these wealthy people how to box. But my point is I had like some stockbroker dudes that had no clue how to box. They just like had tenacity and they loved it so much that I put them in amateur tournaments. Unfortunately, both my guys that I took out of there, they both lost. Yeah. But it was like a life-changing experience because... Well, go I actually ahead. sent you a video of me like messing around boxing and hitting a hit, hitting a dummy. <laughs> yes, you did. And I'm going to change your whole game because you, all, you're all hand. There was none of your body coming behind your punches. I will get your shit in, in, in check. Well, I was messing around. It just you know, kind of looked funny, so I had to send it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you just said... You did. You sent it. It did, and it did look funny, by the way. <laughs> but boxing—it's an art form, you know, just like any martial, just like any art. But uh, I remain a huge boxing fan. You know what I mean? I respect. I got massive respect for all the MMA dudes and what they go through. It's a crazy, shitty way to me to make a living, like getting beat up and getting hurt. It's just a rough ass. So, what's your track. opinion of this? Um, obviously, we just had the Conor McGregor and Mayweather mm-hmm. fight doing boxing and now they're saying Mayweather's sending a deal to go into the MMA to fight MMA style it's not gonna happen it's not unless you read yesterday that he signed it is not gonna happen because he doesn't stand a chance there's no chance and this is the best boxer in the world right now there's no he has no answer for a guy that can go shoot the leg take his ankle and make him tap out by literally pulling his big toe out of socket you know what I mean absolutely it's a different world I hated the fact that they even had that fight because, in my opinion, Conor McGregor is is he's a pretty damn good MMA guy, but he's not even the best in that world. So for him to go and fight the greatest boxer on the planet right now, it was a it was a slap in the face of boxing. I hated that he, he that it happened. God bless Conor McGregor for getting that money. You know what I mean? Like he got that money and he needed the money, obviously, and. It was a great payday for him, and it was really cool, fun to kind of watch. But when you get down to it, you're talking about a guy, Mayweather, who's been boxing since he's five years old. He is a master of something. He's a master of the game. Conor McGregor is like a good amateur boxer. He looked awkward in the ring, I thought. Not only did he look awkward, good for him. He got a nice, sharp right uppercut in that first round. Kept hitting him in the back of the head. He doesn't know anything. Conor McGregor knows nothing about boxing at that level. Let's just be real. You're talking about the best in the world versus a mediocre amateur boxer. I could give you 
right now today, 10 17-year-old Mexican kids in South Tucson that, no joke, <laughs> would whoop the shit out of Conor McGregor. Literally, he wouldn't have a chance. And that's that's for real. Like, I've seen, you know, kids that are just about to go to the Olympics or, like, training for the Olympics, Pan Am Games, the you know, the, the you know, state champs. I've seen awesome little, you know, kids fight. And boxing is just a different beast. You got a counter move for everything. You know what I mean? You know how to, you know, you know your footwork is a different level. And Conor McGregor, exciting guy. Very fun to watch. Loud mouth. Shit talker. But, you know, I just, his, he, he got put in right in check. And to me, if, if, if Mayweather wanted to, he could have taken him out in the first round. He just could have done what he wanted, but he didn't want to like let the public pay for that fight and have a sellout crowd in Vegas or wherever it was and and disappoint him by ending it in one round. He yeah. had to carry him a little bit, but you could see, and it was beautiful. And I it loved eight, it. Eight rounds, ten rounds. I think nine or ten. Okay. But to me, it was awesome just watching Mayweather just start to pick his punches and just break that dude down, you know. And because, you know, if you're gonna talk shit, be Muhammad Ali. Don't be fucking Conor McGregor. If you're going to be talk shit, be the greatest of all time. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And he talks. He's got the greatest talk of all time. And, you know, whatever. I got no... I don't know Conor McGregor. I've never met him. It's funny because back in the day when we'd go on the road with Rogan, we would go to these Uf, some of these UFC guys. They would like come out with us afterwards. And always, like, the nicest, shake your hand softly yet could kill you type of guys, like, but just super nice guys. So I'm, I got to meet a lot of those guys like in the gym and like after shows. And it was funny because I'd, I'd work out, like we'd go to those gyms, but I would just hit the heavy bag. You know what I mean? I, I didn't grapple. I never got on the mat. I just, I don't did like being Did you spar with any of them or what? No, I never sparred on the road with when I was with Joe. Uh-uh. I, but I sparred a lot like in LA, like at these gyms. Like I sparred... Uh, um, there was like, I don't know, last time, last time I sparred, I actually dropped the guy. I kind of felt good about it, but there was like a loud mouth karate guy in the gym on, uh, it was on sunset. I forgot the name of the gym. Oh no, my bad. It was on Beverly and it was, um, outside. It just says training and then boxing. And my boy, Steve ran the gym and he trained like a bunch. He trained like uh Scott Kahn and he trained a bunch of actor dudes, um, uh, the guy on CSI, damn, what's his name? Good-looking black guy. I forgot his name. Like real smooth. He was always in there boxing. A bunch of dudes like that were in there boxing, like actors and famous, kind of some famous people. I'd be in the corner just hitting my bag, and the one loud mouth. There was always one loud mouth, like long-haired karate dude. And one day he's just like, "Yo, Mike, you want to spar? Like, let's just spar." And I was like, "Man, not really," because I hadn't sparred in a long time, and like you get nervous sparring. I actually had to go get a mouthpiece, and I didn't bring my mouthpiece. Do you have the helmet? Yeah, yes, I, I definitely had headgear on. And he was like, "Come on, bro, don't be scared." And of course, my ego kicked in. I'm like, "All right, let's do it. Let's spar." I hadn't sparred in a while, but he was all, he was more karate than boxing, and we were we, there was no kicking. We were just gonna boxing spar. And so we went in there, started mixing it up, and he started coming at me like a little too hard. Sparring, you're supposed to be controlled unless you're getting ready for a fight, like a real fight. I'm not going all out. I'm not a pro fighter. I only boxed amateurs. I was only looking to work out. Plus, I can't break. I don't want to break my nose. I was doing stand-up all over the place. I don't want to look messed up. Not Long story short, he's talk smack. We get in the ring. We start moving around. He gets extra aggressive. Boom. I step to the right on one of his approaches. Bang. Blast him with the right hand, and I drop him. 
I remember when he dropped to the ground. I don't know why. I don't know if it was like the jerk reaction of his hands, but like his hands like went up like this, like, like, ah, and just like <laughs> crumbled to the ground. And it was, I mean, I felt great. Well, maybe after you train me, I can last around with Connolly. We never know. I mean, that's on you to put that challenge. I don't, I don't want to put that on no, the no, table. I'm not going to do I don't that. want you to get hurt. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want you to get hurt. You know what I mean? Like there's some other people we could mix you up with over there that you might be okay with. All I got to do is like teach you good defense to yeah. not get hurt. And then just a couple solid punches to land that would shock those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, shock. But like, well, let's not put a challenge on the table. Oh, right not right. Okay. I'm, re- I'm ready for a basketball challenge. This not not basketball. Three point challenge. We put that on the table. I'll we do make that. that happen. No, no doubt. But anyway, it felt great knocking someone. It, it really feels good when you spar and like you land a clean shot and the guy drops. It just feels good. And he dropped to his knees. And at the exact time he dropped to his knees, Steve, the owner of the gym, had walked in. And was like, kind of gave me like the thumbs up, like, way to go, bro. This guy's been talking shit forever. So he got dropped. And then like, as like, a, I kind of like patted him on his head. I was like, you okay, bro? Like I patted him, like kind of condescendingly patted him. I was like, yo, let me know if you want to go again. But maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we should just take time out. Like, and he was done. Like he did he done. just drop or did, was he like on his knees? I hit him and he literally just fell right to his knees. He didn't like go down on his body. He just somehow, whatever... I hit him on the button, so he had no control over his legs. Uh, you know what I mean? But instead of like tipping over to the side or falling backwards, he just fell forward, boom, so and he plopped on his knees with his hands held high. It wasn't like Apollo Creed losing to Ivan Drago. No, it wasn't a Creed Drago move. Uh, uh-uh. I've only, I've had, I've had a few. I've dropped in boxing sparring. I've dropped a few people, not a lot actually, just because you have your headgear on, you weren't going, trying to go toe to toe. But like in college, I remember. You know, like this, like uh, this, like this basketball player dude who was like in great shape. Um, he wanted to spar with me. He came down to our boxing gym one day and was kind of talking a little shit and, you know, whatever. We started sparring and, you know, I was just starting to get my footwork back and feeling really good and, boom, hit him with a nice right hand, dropped him. And it's funny because he lives in a, he's from L.A. Like I went to school at U of A, Arizona, and like he was from L.A. and like. 10 years later, literally, I saw him like in a bar in LA. I was like, hey man, what's up? He's like, this guy, this guy knocked me out in college. So they remember that. People get remember getting knocked out. Absolutely. Yeah, believe it or not, I did actually take karate when I was younger. So I made it all the way to orange belt, like the third belt in. So. Oh, so you know how to throw a little bit of something? Yeah, it was Kempo karate. I'd have to uh, really, really try hard to remember what I learned. Yo, I took karate too, and my brother. I always say, like, you're born with a certain type of strength. Like, if you watch the documentary on strongmen, there's, like, two kinds of guys. There's guys that, like, will lift weights more than anybody, lift more than anybody, and they will become super incredibly strong. There's another type that is born incredibly strong that also will lift weights and then will be the strongest. My brother was born with, like, this crazy strength, and he always had it. My uncles were like, yo, if you ever do want a box you'll be a world champion. They used to, like, my brother had that level of strength in his punch. I've seen him knock dudes out in in the ring, and it it was scary. And me and him sparred one time, and I just had better, at the time, like, just better hand skills. We never sparred again after that. It was, like, a very emotional day, like, two brothers sparring. I don't know how some of these guys do it, like, in in the pros. I, I, I can never do it again. I never want to get into it with my brother again. It was a very bad day. So it wasn't like the movie Warrior then? No, 
No, because we knew we were brothers. Wasn't Warrior like they didn't even know they were brothers till like later in life or no, some weird no, shit? No, they knew they were brothers. They just didn't know they were both in the tournament. Oh, right, 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 right. I forgot. I think my boy Cliff was one of the writers on that movie. Callan was in that movie playing himself. This is Brian Callan. I'm like, wow. Look at Callan's doing a, his own cameo. Um, but me and my brother, yeah, we sparred one day and it was it was not good. But my point was certain people have a strength level and my brother and I were in karate class when we were young, like 15, 16. We actually took karate for a while. And then my parents made us quit because we'd come home from karate and we would throw a thousand punches at each other. And like, okay, I'd be like, I'm going to throw 500 punches. You block them. Now you throw 500 and I block them. So all day long, we are just blocking punch. Like we just couldn't, See? we couldn't leave it at the dojo. See, me and my brother, we fought all the time, but we had no idea what we was doing, what we were doing. <laughs> Actually, here's a funny story for you. Like, you know, I would annoy my brother. We'd be out on the basketball court, and for some odd reason, there'd be a cactus by the basketball court. And so I charged at my brother. He kicks me. I go flying into the cactus. And it's like... You could die. Exactly. But but brothers have that rivalry where you're just angry with each other, and there's no reason. Oh, yeah. He you played, can't even make up a reason for it. No, he played all kinds of pranks. I could go on and on about him. He did? Yeah. Right. He tortured you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll get into that on the on the, on the next pod. <laughs> but you know, that's 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 sibling rivalry, man. And if you have a sibling out there, try to love your brother. You know what I mean? You got to try to love your brother because, you know, it's all. Sometimes it's all you got, and like, there's not even a reason why brothers. There's no real way to articulate why brothers fight when you're little. And I think it's only because someone else is in your space. It's just as simple as that. Like, I used to just get mad. Like, what the fuck is he doing here again? He's just in the space. And and I remember, I don't know if I've ever even told this story, but like, when we moved into our new neighborhood, me and my brother were pretty much really good athletes. Like, we could hang with anybody in any sport. We were like the baby Jewish Gronkowskis. Like we weren't ever going to, I was, my brother could have been a pro baseball player, walked on Arizona's division one football team, baseball, knocking it out of the park, but didn't give a shit. Didn't like his coaches. Didn't listen to anybody. Could have cared less, just gifted. But we, uh, the neighborhood we were in, there was like, we, we lived cul-de-sac to cul-de-sac, 40 kids on the block, literally kids everywhere. So every day was a game. But one day, like, my boys down the street were, like, had too many. And they were like, no, you can't play. You know, kids could just be mean. So I was hurt. I was like, man, I can't play. Like, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm sad. And I remember I looked over at my brother. And I'm like, I got my boy. Like, I got my brother who's better than all of them at sports. I don't need anybody else. And so that was, like, that moment where I was like, I got to quit being mad at this. I got to quit being pissed at my brother. Because when we fought, we fought hard. He blasted me with a crutch one time, broke my thumb, even though I never got like a cast on it, but like hit me with a full baseball bat swing with a crutch. Oh, wow. One day he woke me up in the morning. We had a fight at night. He woke me up in the morning. I, I look up. I, my, I can't really focus on what I got. I feel somebody like picking my hand up. I'm like, what's going on? My brother's got my hand in his hand. He's holding my hand while I wake up. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, bam. He smashes my hand against the wall behind me and just almost breaks my hand again. Like, we fought for real. But, you know. So we didn't it, fight like that. It was more so like I'd be in my room and my brother would, you know, he would take a string and make it so when I would open my door, you, I couldn't open it because it was attached to the other door. And so, like, he, yeah. he would, like, rig stuff like that. Yeah. So those are fun pranks. Those are, And we did some of that, too, for sure. 
but we were in a testosterone-filled athletic household where we were whooping the shit out of each other. And when I finally let my brother like play sports with my friends, he dominated that too. Like I'll never forget, we played two-on-two basketball. These twins, Mark and Eddie, were my boys. We had a we had a basketball game on the on the driveway. My boy Mark got into it with my brother. He pushed my brother. He said some crazy shit, and my brother looked over at me, and I kind of gave him like that look, like it's okay if you want to hit him. And I feel bad. I almost feel, still feel bad, but like, bam! My brother hit him with a left hook. He was out cold on the grass. Wow! I said so. I had to fake anger at my brother. I was like, "Go home. You're done here." And he like, you know, <laughs> you know, he like tail between the legs, like ran. I'm like, oh, I'm telling dad. He ran home, went home, and like my boy finally like woke up on the grass. I remember he's like, don't tell anybody that school that your brother beat me up because my brother's two years younger. I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll never tell a soul. Monday at school, I walk in. I couldn't help it. I was like kind of weirdly proud of my brother. I walk in. I'm like, yo, you guys are never going to believe what happened. My brother just whooped the shit out of my, you know, it got like a, you know, I spread the rumor. But, you know, what are you going to do? You got to protect your brother, right? Yeah, absolutely. Got to. Mm. Man, Dave, I love how these podcasts fly by. It's been an hour and 15 minutes already. Really? Yeah. Hour and 15. Was I was talking fun. about the comedy store. You know, I worked... I worked... So I've known Kevin. I've known Jerry. I, I worked with the Entourage guys for years. I've known them for years. I had an office with Entourage. I've told this before on the podcast. So in my mind, I'm like, well, of course Piven knows me. I have saw him every day for years. I see him last night at the comedy store... He doesn't even he doesn't even recognize me. I I don't look different. I was like, Jeremy, what up, man? It's Mike Young. Hey, dude, how you, how you doing? I was like, wow. I was like, maybe maybe it's the coffee, maybe it's my adrenaline. But I'm like, now I gotta check Jeremy Piven. I'm <laughs> like, yo, bro, I've known you since I, I I'm Doug's friend, the creator of the show. Then I think he kind of like he, I think he was maybe thrown off out of context. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, what are you doing here? I'm a comedian. What are you doing? But I guess he's like, he's doing stand-up now. You know, he's doing stand-up, trying to like get shit off his chest. He's going through shit. Yeah, he's been here a few times recently. Hopefully he's just getting real with it. Like hopefully he's talking to, you know, he he got accused of, you know, inappropriate behavior with women came out against him. They canceled his show, you know. So hopefully he's like just getting that shit off his chest and like letting people know like what really is going on. Because... I don't know, man. We're living in a weird time. Like every day somebody else is going down and it's like, okay, we get it. And like I said before, fellas, don't be abusive. Don't be a motherfucker who's gropey. If you're a groper, rapey guy, go home, bro. Don't talk to girls. Go, go, go pay money, get a massage, get a happy ending, get your <laughs> shit off your chest and get your like energy down because you're really a rapey dude and you just don't understand women. You can't be aggressive with women. You know what I mean? Physically. You just you can't be that. And if you are, get put in check. You know what I mean? If you're a scumbag, you deserve what you get. Absolutely. But I I feel like some of these stories are like misunderstandings. Like Listen, I don't know Aziz Ansara. I don't know him. Never met him. Don't even know him. But, like, I don't want to... Everything I've read about that story, it sounds like a night gone bad, but not because he did anything crazy. It sounds like consensual sex. Girl went down on him. He went down on her. Fun night. 
You know what I mean? It didn't end great. He started like maybe try to give it another shot. Who hasn't tried to give it another shot if it doesn't go great? And now she's coming out like against him and like trying to ruin the guy's career. You don't deserve to. If that's a true story, what I read, and I don't know the story, but if what I read is true, you don't deserve to ruin a dude's career. No way, man. This guy makes money doing performing, being on television, doing stand up comedy. Now. I'm just saying, I don't know him. I don't know. I wasn't in the room, but the story that I read, man, it wasn't that. It wasn't career ending worthy. See, now I'm seeing stuff on like Twitter and Instagram, and they're showing pictures of actors. They're taking pictures with other people. You know, I think it was Keanu Reeves or someone. He actually had a picture where his arm was around the girl, not touching her, just to be, you know, perfectly clear. Like, like it was just like him. Like they showed his hand out here, like not even like. Anyway, it's just like an awkward, awkward picture. Wait, they're showing pictures of, of, of Aziz with that girl? No, no, sorry. This is totally different. So since everybody's getting in trouble, yeah, they posted a picture of, I think it was Keanu Reeves or someone filming a movie set. Yeah. The girl wanted a picture, and so he's got his arm around her, not like touching her, just kind of just like this. So his like, hand is like open. It's like open, like clear as yeah. day, like his hand is nowhere to be found and anything else. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's probably almost like making an extra point of it. And I, I see my boys out there in the studio, but we'll wrap up in a second. But like, there's a there's four sides to all these damn stories. And it's like, listen, I could say some shit like about me with a, like a woman coming at me, like feel making me feel weird. I signed a deal, a development deal 10 years ago at a place. And like the woman who was like a junior executive who was kind of hot. I didn't know the game. She would come up to the comedy store rubbing my arm, rubbing, like hanging all over me. Did I sleep with her? Yeah, I slept with her. I did. Not out of pressure. <laughs> she was just fine and I did it. But like there was like this weird moment where I was like, man, this is like kind of weird because she works for the company that I just signed with. Yo, me too. Me too. You know, like there's all kinds of weird shit in Hollywood. It Definitely it happens. It happens all over the world in every single kind of company and business it's very simple fellas don't be gropey don't be rapey no means no that's simple girls if you had a bad night with a dude and you guys were getting it on and you just don't like the way it turned out don't ruin his career don't ruin his life girls if you're somebody that like thought you had a career and you thought you were gonna be something and you had a bad night with a co actor comedian somebody in power and your night didn't go great and you didn't get the job you thought you were gonna get don't ruin his career. He doesn't deserve to get his career ruined. You know what I mean? You just maybe weren't funny or maybe your shit wasn't going to be great anyway. But like if, if, if somebody does something to you truly physically and threatens you and you feel threatened and assaulted, bury them. But don't be a scorned girl and don't go looking to bury dudes like for no real reasons. You can't do that. So you know, shit happens both ways, and I'm not down because, listen, there, it, it all happens. There are scorned women out there who are ready to bury you. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That will bury you because you hurt their feelings because you hurt them somehow. And I'm not good with that. You know what I mean? And I, But I'm also not good with fucking disgusting, animal, you know, dis, with the Brett Ratners and the Harvey Weinstein behavior. I'm, You know, and... I almost don't even like saying that because the cases haven't been done, you know, they haven't gone through. But from all in, from all looks, they're scumbags. And Brett Ratner, by the way, 
that dude hit on my girl back in the day, like 10 years ago when I was in Jerry's Deli. I was with her on a date. He sat down at our table and literally went at my girl like I wasn't even there. So he's lucky I didn't whoop his ass. You know what I mean? Like oh, I would have just whooped the shit out of him. But, you know, he's just a character flaw at the time. But, you know, we're not – stories that need to be told is not about bashing other people. But, you know, we're just we're just trying to tell stories – Right and just take what you can. Absolutely. You got any stock tips? Anything? Anything looking good? I mean, are you feeling okay about these stocks that you gave everybody? That of course took a dip. I think they're gonna be okay. But the thing is, though, the one thing you weren't clear about is I didn't. You didn't tell me what specific stocks. They never told anybody specific stocks. So, but it was just a bad week. It'll bounce back this week. And but the one thing I was trying to get more education on was blockchain technology because that's going to be the next big thing in the stock market. It's getting cust is getting companies that are going to be involved with blockchain technology. Wait, blockchain? No, blockchain. What is blockchain? It is the basically it is what is behind all those bitcoins, all the cryptocurrencies. It makes all that possible. So it's the technology that makes all that currency work. So everything can stay anonymous and the way you know. So what do you feel about this whole Bitcoin situation? Like, is it going down? Is it happening? Like, is this real? What the hell? Is, is it real? Oh, yeah. It, I mean, they're saying uh, blockchain technology could be in like 70% of all the banks by 2021. So it's a big deal. I'm still still trying to, you know, learn a bit, little bit more before I can advise people on that. But it's it's going to be one of the next big things. Okay. I was actually meant to ask you, how was that roast battle last Wednesday that you're the judge of? Um, hold on, yo, give me 30 seconds. I'm, I'm, I was typing something, sorry. Um, it was fun, but I'm not like a good, I'm a good judge, but like these guys are all great at dogging people out. So like even the judges, they're like, they're like, they're like great at being mean to people. You know what I mean? I'm not a good mean comedian. That's not my style. So I almost had to like change my brain around to like pick on the pick on the contestants and dog them out. Like there was like a heavy set girl and like the comedians on stage were like, Oh, I thought you were going to fall over. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> that's like an easy target. I'm not down with that type of thing, but it's always a fun. I love the actual, the actual contestants who are going at it. They're high level comedic brains. They're really great to watch. It was a blast. I had a great time doing it. Um, you know, I'm not the best guy to be mean to a bunch of people. That's just not my style, but I want to do it again, and it was really cool, and there were some, uh, you know, some good winners, you know, humble losers. It was fun. Roast battle at the comedy store is always a good time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Dave, we're going to wrap it up, bro. Is there anything else I'm missing? What else did I want to talk? I think, I think we're good, man. Hour 15, told some solid stories. Stock tip Dave's back in the house. Um... I'm leaving town next week. I'm performing. I got to go home to Detroit for a minute, but I'm I'm performing in New Jersey with Saget. Then we're doing Poconos. Then we're doing Chicago. Then we're doing Detroit Royal Oak Music Theater. Then we're doing Nashville. I got a bunch of great gigs coming up. So find me again at the Real Mike Young on Instagram. And Dave set up a Facebook page for stories that need to be told. Absolutely. Got to get more. Uh, we're going to put all the weekly podcasts on there. So look for that. Look for all the weekly podcasts on the Stories That Need to Be Told Facebook page. Stories That Need to Be Told Facebook page. Stories That Need to Be Told has a Facebook page. Thanks to Stock Tip Dave. He yeah. did it when he couldn't sleep after he ate the burrito. I was going to say, absolutely. Don't get lost in Nashville this time. I will, <laughs> good ending line. I will not get lost in Nashville. Um, 
Mike Young. Find me at the Real Mike Young on Instagram. Real Mike Young on Twitter. Even though I really Twitter's fading. But uh, go to the uh, Facebook page, Stories That Need To Be Told. Listen to all of them. Stay with us. Have a great week. It's Martin Luther King Day. Honor your brothers. Be cool with everybody. You know what I mean? We all have a dream. Let's just, you know, let's let's make it peaceful. Love wins every time. Love wins. I'm not corny. You could say it's corny, but I've, it's a yeah. proven fact. Love Treat people wins. the way you want to be treated. Exactly. Love over hate. All right. God bless. We're out. Peace. <laughs>